what we believe we believe. Why do I believe Jesus Christ to be the way, the truth, and the life? You want to be a Christian. You want to live the Christian life. But you've never learned how to live the Christian life. Welcome to Tellius Talk on a very special episode addressing the most important day in October. And that day is... Reformation Day. And for those of you partaking in Halloween, enjoy yourselves as you go door-to-door meeting your neighbors. Make sure that you take an opportunity to pray for them. So instead of celebrating the harvest or dabbling in the worship of the dead, we are going to be looking at one of the biggest days in church history. Church history has its very own special connection to gore, death, mutilation, and evil. So short of adding any scary sound effects in the background, Let's just dive right into Reformation Day and its legacy. Although I want to focus mostly on the history that led up to Luther nailing the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg door, we're going to look at it a little bit because what happened did not happen in a vacuum. So there are other Reformational sort of divisions that marked church history right from the time of the inception of the church. So let's look at some of the history here. So the first 500 years of Christianity were volatile, which led to its spread to many parts of the world. Uh, just a brief list of churches in the early church. So uh, AD 33, we had the Coptic church, um, the church in Egypt. In AD 52, southern India saw the rise of the Marthoma Christians. AD 81, in Babylon, we had the Assyrian church which is important for the spread going east. AD 333, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church came in, and there were many other heretical sects and cults in those years. There's a major division that happens. So around AD 431, we have the Church of the East. AD 451, we have the Oriental Orthodox Church. These denominations are going to be classified, I think, if we look into history, as branches of Eastern Christianity. In AD 476, the Western Empire collapsed, and this left only barbarian tribes and the Pope in Rome as the spiritual head. So the Eastern Roman Empire continued to flourish, with the Eastern Roman Emperor as its temporal head and the Patriarch of Constantinople as its spiritual head. In AD 1056, the estrangement and incomprehension between the Western and Eastern Church grew so great that they actually excommunicated each other. So the problem was they spoke different languages. Latin was spoken primarily in the West, and Greek was spoken primarily in the East. So this here is known as the Great Schism. And this is where the, the Church split into the Roman Catholic Church, as we know it today, also known as the Latin Church. And then we had the Eastern Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox Churches, or the Greek Church on the East. So the Latin Church is what became known now as the Western Church. So side note here, there is evidence, and I mentioned this earlier, there is evidence of a a Chinese Orthodox Church around A.D. 635. And that was a result of missionaries that went from the Assyrian church into China. Unfortunately, the Christian church has been split 
by many of these schisms over the millennia, and this fact makes the Protestant Reformation only another event among many, and less than extraordinary. However, the break created the Protestant Church, which is the second largest Christian church in the world in size behind only the Roman Catholic Church. So from AD 1056 until 1517, there were at least two Christian churches, the Roman Catholic in the West and then the Eastern Orthodox Church in the East. So the Eastern Orthodox Church developed national churches in, in Europe, and these are just as old as the Catholic Church, and both were part of the same sort of worshiping community before their split. And there were Christians in India that had been there from the time of the beginning of Christianity. There were Christians in Africa from the beginning of Christianity, and there were independent Christians in China prior to 800 AD. Another thing we need to talk about, another group we need to talk about, are the Waldensians. And they still exist today as a Christian community within the Calvinist tradition. And they were Protestants hundreds of years before the Protestant Reformation. They had their start in 1173. And the beliefs held by the Waldensians have been linked to Anabaptist origins as well as through writers such as Van Brott and Blaupot den Kate. Before Luther really got the ball rolling, there were a few other things that came into effect just leading up to that. So in Cambridge, England, in 1499, a gentleman by the name of Desiderus Erasmus Rotterdamus, or just Erasmus as we call him these days, was invited to England by William Blount. And he offered to accompany Erasmus on his trip to England. And according to Thomas Penn, Erasmus was ever susceptible to the charms of attractive, well-connected, and rich young men. And so his time in England was fruitful in the making of lifelong friendships with the leaders of English thought in the days of King Henry VIII. Some of these gentlemen were John Collette, Thomas Moore, John Fisher, Thomas Linacre, and William Grosson. Erasmus was mostly or particularly impressed by Bible teaching of John Collette, and he pursued a style more akin to the church fathers than the scholastics. In the introductory paragraph of Collette's convocational sermon in 1512, Collette concludes by stating that his presence is due to the need for the council to consider a church reformation. So this came up before Luther. This came up before the 95 Thesis, but they, these gentlemen were already talking about something in the church needs to change. So Colette is known to have been influenced by the writings and sermons and prophecies of Girolamo Savonarola. Here's a gentleman who was excommunicated and martyred by the Catholic Church for his views on church reform. Some Protestants consider Savonarola to be a vital precursor to the Reformation. Erasmus had a job at the University of Cambridge as the Professor of Divinity, but he turned down a tenureship or a, a life posting as a professor there um, and only stayed until 1515 uh, studying at Queen's College. Now, the Protestant Reformation began in the year following the publication of his edition of the Greek New Testament called Novel Instrumentum in 1516. 
And this publication showed some of the weaknesses of the Latin Vulgate, which had been used by the Roman Catholic Church for over a thousand years at this point, and it sought to correct those errors in its text, which would affect church doctrine. Some of the doctrine that it challenged were things like the act of penance. And by the way, reformers used this publication, it tested Erasmus's character. And both Martin Luther and John Calvin used this New Testament in their own translations and theological writings. But Erasmus would go back to revise his New Testament. And even the revisions were used by Martin Luther and John Calvin. But Erasmus didn't want the church to think that he was turning against it. In fact, he went and talked to the Pope. And, and the Pope wrote sort of an introduction to this, this New Testament that he had written. So Martin Luther, a monk and a scholar, struggled for years within the church. So the church in Rome had many traditions, many ideas. And he was greatly disturbed by an unprecedented indulgence sale. There was a young bishop named Albert of Mainz. And not only was he bishop over two bishoprics, but he desired an additional archbishopric over Mainz. And this, too, was against church laws because he was quite young. And church laws should have said that he couldn't be a bishop yet. But he was, and now he was pushing to sort of bend the laws, get other things done. So Albert appeared to the Pope in Rome, Leo X. And Leo X allowed for his taste to exceed his financial resources. So he was greedy, and he wanted all kinds of things. He had artists and sculptors coming in and doing all sorts of fantastic things. Think of Raphael and Michelangelo, two guys who were in there doing paintings and sculptures for him. And when Albert of Mainz appealed, and he gave him a papal blessing, he would sell indulgences for past, present, and future sins, and all of this made Martin Luther sick. Because what they were basically saying was, you can buy your way into heaven. And Luther couldn't handle it. Luther had to speak out. But why did he choose October 31st? Well, November 1st had a very special place in the church. It was All Saints Day. And on November 1st of 1517, a massive exhibit of newly acquired relics was going to go on display in Wittenberg. And this was Luther's home. And pilgrims were going to come from all over to genuflect before the relics and take hundreds, if not thousands of years off time in purgatory. And Luther grew upset because nothing that was happening here seemed right. Historians are going to say that the Protestant Reformation began on October 31st in 1517 with the publication of Martin Luther's 95 Thesis. And Luther took to writing these theses and nailing them on the door of the Wittenberg Church as an intention to spark debate. He wanted to stir these people up to search their souls. And it was more than what he bargained for. It did more than just cause debate. These 95 theses also revealed that the church was beyond rehabilitation. The church needed reformation. The church and the world after this would never be the same. Just to look at one of the theses that Luther declared, it says the church's true treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that alone 
is the meaning of Reformation Day. So the church had lost sight of the gospel because it had long ago papered over the pages of God's word with layer upon layer of tradition. And what problem that happens with tradition is it makes us work for our faith. It creates a system of works. It creates a system of earning your way to God. This was a pharisaical idea. It was medieval Roman Catholicism. And we read Christ himself saying, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Doing the indulgences, paying for your way in and out, having works within the church, it doesn't go with what Christ was saying. Now, unfortunately, there was an immediate fallout. So Luther was called to task for this, but there were other gentlemen who were martyred for what they said. And, and I'm just drawn to think about someone like Tyndale, someone who worked in the Reformation, who wrote a new translation of Scripture, who was martyred for what he believed. In January 1525, a man named Blaurock asked Conrad Gable to baptize him again. And although he had been baptized in infancy, Grable complied, and therefore Blaurock rebaptized others. And then the Anabaptist movement had its beginnings. So the reformers started with this idea of knocking down traditions. The Anabaptists looked at these traditions and said, hey, you know what? This child baptism, this idea of infant baptism is also wrong. And the early Anabaptists formulated in their beliefs, a confession of faith called the Schleitenheim Confession. And in 1527, Michael Sattler presided over a meeting at Schleitenheim on the Swiss-German border where Anabaptist leaders drew up this confession of faith. Now, it was never the intention of Luther or any of the other reformers to split away from the church. Ultimately, they saw that the church had embraced a tradition which ran contrary to scripture. And it was obvious to laymen and humanists and clergy alike, that change was sparked by an action which called the church to accountability. And that's important. We need to keep the church accountable. But the reaction of the Roman church to these reformers shows the level of corruption that had descended in the church. But how different was the Roman church than any other sinner who is enraptured by their debauchery? It was undoubtedly the work of the Holy Spirit that encouraged the reformers to seek an understanding of what was said in Scripture and to share that truth with others. It was the work of man that created the division, the chaos, and the corruption which colored the act of reformation. It was our pride and sinfulness which caused a holy event to become remembered as one of disastrous, divisive time in church history. But does that mean that the Reformation was a mistake? Does that mean that God's work was not done? Did the Reformation strengthen or weaken the church? Do we glean anything from the 95 Theses which apply to us today? But what is Reformation Day? So it's the day that the light of the gospel broke forth out of darkness. It was the day that began the Protestant Reformation. It is a day that led to... Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, and many other reformers helping the church find its way back to God's word as the only supreme authority for faith and life and leading the church back to the glorious doctrines of justification by faith alone. 
It kindled the fires of missionary endeavors. It led to hymn writing and congregational singing. It led to the centrality of the sermon and preaching for the people of God. It's the celebration of theological, ecclesiastical, and cultural transformation. And when I look at today's church, it almost feels like this push to having the sermon as the central point of the service, it's, it's being changed back. And now we're focusing on the singing and the pomp and the circumstance and the lights and the smoke machines and the, and, and we're not actually learning in church the gospel that needs to be preached. And we, we celebrate Refor- Reformation Day, a day that reminds us to be thankful for our past and a monk who became a reformer. But we need to remember our duty and our obligation. We need to keep the gospel at the center of everything we do. Do we need reformation today? So the, the church has lost its way. <laughs> the, the Bible says, like a dog returning to its vomit. You know, we are chasing the idolatry and sinful desires that the reformers saw in the 16th century church. The prosperity gospel, which has taken the hand of indulgences to pull the weak and gullible straight into hell, is joined by the preachers of therapeutic moralistic dualism, watered down to appease the worldview of its congregants. It encourages sin by attacking Christians who stand against it. And like a cancer, it is gripped at the heart of nearly every church worldwide because... Although we have the word of God available to us, we reject it because it's inconvenient and it reflects how we have rejected the truth for a lie. You know, truth and love does not encourage sin. Jesus never told the adulterers to look for the truth inside them. He never encouraged the Pharisees and Sadducees to embrace their legalistic and hollow traditions. And the early church never formed special interest groups among sinners to affirm their lifestyles. In Psalm 73, we read, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray, for I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die, and their bodies are well fed. They are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people, and therefore... Pride is their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imagination of their hearts run wild. They mock, and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten opposition. They set their mouths against heaven, and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. And the wicked say, How can God know? Does he really know everything? Look at them. They are wicked. They are always at ease. They increase their wealth. And did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. If I had decided to say these things out loud, I would have betrayed your people. And when I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. Until I entered God's sanctuary and there I understood their destiny. Indeed, You put them in slippery places. You made them fall into ruin. How suddenly they became a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. 
And then a few verses later, he says, When I became embittered and my inmost being was wounded, I didn't understand. I was unthinking like an animal toward you. Yet I'm always with you. You hold my hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you take me into glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, so I can tell about all you do. On Reformation Day, on a day where we talk about the church being called to task, it's not about division. And the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, was never designed or intended to divide the church. And yet we look at today's church and we see a lot of the same things in today's church in the Western Church, in the Protestant Church, that emulate what was seen in the Western Church, the Roman Catholic Church. And like I said at the beginning, the Church is not just the Western Church. Yes, the Protestant Church is the second largest church behind the Roman Catholic Church, but you have the Eastern Orthodox Church, you have the Oriental Orthodox Church, you have the Coptics, you have the Waldensians, you have all these groups of Christians all over the world who believe the same scripture, believe the same God, but we have we have these disagreements. And like a family has disagreements, the church has disagreements. A church of God should reflect the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not a place of chaos because that is not God's character. On Reformation Day, we should be thinking about where we are in our hearts, where our churches are, where we as Christian brothers and sisters are. We should be thinking about our outreach to the world, celebrating the fact that God has come and he has poured his spirit out to bring about change, but not change to divide the church, but change to strengthen the church. Reformation Day is about strengthening the church. It's not about celebrating the division of the church. Do we believe what we believe we believe?